Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Across the ASEAN, only on Money FM 89.3. Things might be looking a little bit better for Malaysia with the economy continuing to reopen as vaccination rates improve, and also the establishment of a small uh, vaccinated travel lane, at least between Singapore's Changi Airport and Kuala Lumpur International. Yes, you can now fly between these two cities for now. And of course, ongoing talks about potentially reopening that land border with Johor. On top of that, there's also that rather hefty budget announced by Malaysian authorities in an effort to try and help the economy make up for lost time after lengthy lockdowns due to the COVID-19 pandemic. But how big of an impact will this actually have? And will this materialize for markets in certain sectors in Malaysia? Well, today on Across the ASEAN, we're joined once again by Mr. Anand Patmakantham, who's the head of equity research at Maybank Kimeng in Kuala Lumpur. And he's here to talk to us about why the budget might matter for Malaysian markets. Anand, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to hear you and your loved ones are still in good health and safe during these very uncertain times. Welcome back to the show, sir. Hi, JP. Hey, thanks for having me back. So, Ilana, let's get right into it. This budget, and everyone's saying it's a pretty big one, actually, over 332 billion ringgit or about 80 billion US dollars. Some are calling this a record spend for Malaysia's government. Uh, But what kind of uh, impact might this have in terms of helping revive Malaysia's economic prospects and that of markets as well? Yeah, you are right. It is a record budget in terms of the size of the budget. And it is definitely aimed at sort of reinforcing the nascent recovery uh, we are seeing in the economy. And we want to build on the, uh, the, the normalization, I guess, uh, of, of the economy once we've started reopening uh, you know, internal borders and businesses uh, over the last couple of months. So you know, the, the GDP forecasts based on this very expansionary budget are quite punchy. You know, we're thinking uh, 5 to 6% GDP growth in 2022 from 3 to 4% uh, in 2021. So definitely... Uh, the government has very high hopes that the very broad-based stimulus uh, that this record budget uh, represents will allow us to reach those punchy uh, GDP targets for next year. But what kind of impact might this have in terms of the markets, though? We have noticed the KLCI, it's, uh, it's still down by about 6% since the start of the year. Could this budget actually also uh, feed into positive market sentiment? There is a bit of a divergence between the sort of pro-growth uh, thrust of this budget and what it means for the market. And that's primarily because part of the funding for this budget is coming from the corporate sector. So within the budget, there was a levy uh, on the corporate sector, right. uh, what the government called the Chukai Makmo or prosperity tax. So that was a negative surprise for the market. Yeah, we were not expecting a broad-based windfall tax uh, of such a nature. Uh, and it applies to all companies which are generating net income of above 100 million ringgit, regardless of what sector they are in. The government has come out to clarify that of the 1.4 million companies operating in Malaysia, only about 250 plus uh, will be subject to the tax uh, and that it will raise about 3 to 5 billion uh, ringgit for the government. But the fact remains that most of these 250 plus companies are listed companies yeah, by, uh, by their very nature. Listed companies tend to be the most profitable companies in the economy. So there is a substantial hit to market earnings expectations for 2022 because of the imposition of this one-off tax. 
And that's why the market has sort of retreated post-budget, despite the very expansionary uh, language in the budget. It is a one-time corporate tax, though, a one-time hit, as you mentioned a while ago. Do you think that this means that it's not going to be as uh, long-term an effect? Or could this actually provide a stickier drag on markets, despite it being a one-time thing? Yeah, I would equate it to sort of a concussion for the market. So the market will take some time to recover from this blow because the tax itself, uh, its applicability and its impact on individual uh, listed companies is still being sussed out by both the corporates themselves uh, as well as the investment community. So it will take a couple of months at least until we have a very clear read uh, on what this tax means for corporate profitability in 2022 uh, as well as market earnings. So in the intervening months, the market will struggle will you know, find it very difficult to come up with a positive narrative and, and rally from there. So I would think that it would be into the second quarter of next year before the market is able to look beyond the tax uh, and for the longer term economic recovery and earnings recovery. Now, one sector, though, now that may be worth watching is palm oil. And it has been noted that they do have a handful of exemptions to some of the tax levies. What exactly are these exemptions that might be boosting palm oil's prospects? And what else might be playing in palm oil's favor coming from the budget and these new tax structures? Sure. So the backdrop for palm oil going into the budget was already very positive. So crude palm oil prices have been hitting records over the last couple of weeks, you know, at about 5,000 ringgit per metric ton. Uh, pre-budget. And it's, you know, it's still around that level currently. What was uh, a positive surprise for the sector in the budget was, you know, while I mentioned this Jukai Makmo broad-based uh, windfall tax, the plantation sector has actually been uh, laboring under a windfall tax since the 90s. Yeah, it's, it's not new for them. Uh, but what the government did was it raised the threshold uh, price level for crude palm oil uh, for this tax to apply. So basically, uh, companies would be able to enjoy greater profitability at lower CPO price levels uh, because the windfall tax would not apply at those levels. So net-net, it's actually giving some money back to the plantation sector, especially the peninsula planters who have a much better tax structure uh, as compared to before the budget. Interesting. We're still speaking to Anand Pathmakanthan, the head of equity research for Maybank Kim Eng here and across the ASEAN, talking about Maybank Kim Eng's outlook on Malaysia's budget and which sectors it might support as the economy tries to lift itself up from the hiring effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, one thing I noticed from the budget, Anand, and based on some of the comments you had, you guys had in your report, is that this might also be uh, seen as a budget that might try to help pivot future look-forward sectors, like, for instance, the tech industry in uh, Malaysia. Do you think that is a fair assessment that this budget is being used to help pivot towards some of these future sectors? And can you help our listeners perhaps learn more about the Malaysian tech sector, which you think might actually benefit from this budget? Yeah, I think one of the positives in the budget was the acknowledgement by the government that you know certain sectors need greater policy emphasis. And technology has always been one of those sectors where the government has been trying to uh, you know, incentivize and, and help grow. But the, the biggest surprise, I guess, was the huge tax incentives for uh, electric vehicles or EVs. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Malaysia had been very slow to introduce EV uh, policies compared to our ASEAN neighbors. And it's good to see the government sort of kicking off uh, that, that sort of uh, infrastructure growth in that sector and incentivizing EV ownership and usage. So I think for the tech space as a whole, if we include EV in there, uh, the government is definitely trying to push the economy you know, up the value chain. And I think for the tech space in Malaysia, the incentives were really into reskilling and supporting R&D. And I think you know, these 
that's the correct way to go because any more direct intervention is not required. If you look at the most successful sector uh, in Malaysia in, in terms of the KLCI or even the broader economy, it is the tech sector. And that's primarily because they are mostly you know, entrepreneur run and they have very strong linkages with the global supply chain, uh, you know, be it Broadcom, big Osram, uh, you know, these are all big principles for Malaysian uh, supply chain tech companies. So they've grown hand in hand. Uh, and I think that growth will continue uh, because of the cost advantages that Malaysia has uh, and also the incentives from the government. Interesting that you brought up uh, this uh, this uh, pivot towards electric vehicle adoption, and you've also highlighted automotive stocks might benefit from these measures in the budget. But as we've seen on the global electric vehicle space, we see a lot of players easily coming in and out or announcing their forays. For instance, you look at Fox conferences in Taiwan that said, hey, I want to make an electric vehicle. I think the likes of Xiaomi, for instance, in China, also saying the same thing. And pretty much anybody with a little bit of capital seems to be really wanting to enter the electric vehicle space. Now, I bring this back to the auto sector in Malaysia, which might benefit from these efforts to try to pivot towards electric vehicles. Could this spur more possible players perhaps come in and actually provide more competitive pressures if the pivot to electric vehicles in Malaysia actually takes off and is as successful as the budget hopes it will? Yeah, I think when you look at the structure of how automotive players uh, in Malaysia operate, when it comes to new models or new technology, they don't spend vast amounts of money themselves developing these new models and, okay. and technology. They have strong partners. So UMWS Toyota, you know, uh, Nissan partners with Tanchong, and Proton is with Geely, uh, obviously. So they use their partners' R&D and uh, model pipelines to cater to the domestic demand. So the measures in the budget were really aimed at spurring uh, consumers to buy EVs. So mm-hmm. if consumers yeah, start, start to demand more EVs, then the auto uh, players in Malaysia will naturally source more EVs from their partners and their pipeline of EV products. It will definitely help sort of create, a, I guess, a starting point for the development of supportive infrastructure for EV as well, like charging stations uh, in particular. So it's really aimed at kickstarting sort of an infrastructure boom in the EV space in Malaysia, not so much take Malaysia an EV production hub. I don't think that's what we're aiming to do. Point. Now, finally, Anand, you know, I have to ask if there are potential winners, there have to be potential losers. And I do, do want to look at some of the previous COVID-19 winners out in Malaysia, for instance, like glove makers and, and whatnot. Could this actually spur a rotation away from these previous COVID-19 winners like glove makers as the budget and also the reopening of Malaysia, Malaysia's economy picks up? Yeah, that's already happening. So recovery plays, uh, especially cyclical stocks, which are you know, relatively cheap uh, by historical standards and should benefit from economic reopening, have already been uh, re-rated uh, over the last couple of weeks in particular uh, by investors in, you know, on the expectations that next year we'll see sort of a back-to-business-as-usual sort of environment uh, for these companies. The sort of stocks that benefited from the COVID period, <laughs> especially for Malaysia, the glove stocks, you know, uh, they have been de-rated very substantially already over the last couple of months. And it's not so much that we've forgotten about COVID and that, or that there's no demand for gloves. It's really a supply issue. We have a giant new player in the global glove space, and that player is called China. So some of the wow. Chinese players have such aggressive uh, capex uh, plans that they will eclipse the Malaysian players like Top Glove, Hartelega uh, in terms of capacity within the next two to three years. So you have this toxic combination of normalizing demand and hugely increasing supply, which will make the gloves industry very competitive uh, going forward. So it's a very different ballgame from 12 months ago. Uh, so that's why you know 
we think that kind of sector will struggle. All right. Do you think that the, basically it means that China might even overtake Malaysia as the world's largest glove maker if that capex continues up north? Yeah, we think it. You know, over the next three years, you know, Malaysian glove players currently still have the lion's share of the global market, about sixty-eight to seventy percent market share. We think within three years that will be down to about sixty percent, based on the capex plans we've seen from the Chinese. And over the longer term, you know, uh, we will continue to see erosion in that number, given uh, you know the very deferring capacities to invest. Yeah, Chinese players obviously have much deeper pockets here. Anand Pathmakantan, the head of regional equity research at Maybank, Kim Eng. Thank you so much for joining us today here on Across the ASEAN on Money FM 89.3. As always, Anand, I wish you and your loves of continued health and safety during these uncertain times. We look forward to next time you can join us on the show. Thank you, JPN. Stay safe too. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg. Or download our audio app, that's A-W-E-D-I-O, available on Google Play or the App Store.